This is episode 49 of the Travel Podcast. Welcome to the Travel Podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be exploring European ski. Some top tips for those looking to travel as a family, are new to skiing and groups. We recommend some of the best resorts for each and also some key terminology for anyone who may not have been ski or snowboarding before and will want to know before you go. So on this episode, I am joined by Steve from the Travel Podcast. Hi, Steve. Hi, Matthew. And Hannah from Ingham's. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Uh, so thank you both for joining me on this. So just uh, a quick introduction to yourself, Hannah, and how people may know the brand Ingham's. Yeah, so um, I'm business development manager for uh, Ingham's and Hotel Plan um, Group. Um, personally, from a ski point of view, I'm lucky enough that I skied since I was five um, and uh, more recently have had the chance to ski and take my children away as well and watch uh, my five-year-old ski as well or have paddies in between skiing. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, um, basically I've been at um, the Ingham's and Esprit Flexi Ski, Ski Total um, group of companies uh, for 13 years now. So um, I've really um, had an opportunity to see lots of different resorts, experience um, lots of different things that we can offer. So really are a fountain of knowledge, which is very useful for us on this episode because you also have children. So you know what it's like to go skiing with a family. And Steve, I know you're an avid skier. Um, we've been away on some group trips ourselves. So I know you know a lot about the terminology and some top tips about the ski runs. I know you're an avid black run uh, fan. So I do my best. I, I, I like a challenge. <laughs> You do, you do. And, and on that, so we just want to start off with, like, how do you choose a resort? Um, so if we start off with looking at the resort itself, and for those who may not have been skiing before, you'll see, in, whether it be online or in brochures, if, you, if you're old school and got some brochures out, there's uh, different types of runs. So Steve, could you just run through the different types of runs that people will be finding across Europe? Okay, so um, depending on where you're going, it might slightly vary, but this is a general sort of rule of thumb. You've got different colours, and uh, the colour de- depicts um, how difficult it is to ski that that run. So the run is like the roadway on the mountain, and the colour will tell you how hard it is. If it's your first trip and you're on a black run, you've got a problem. Um, that's a challenge for you. So don't go that way. You want to start with the nice, easy ones. So typically that's going to be like a green. Um, and that basically means it's a little bit like a, uh, a gentle walk in the park, if you like. So the gentle slopes, the easy ones to get you going, not too, not too sort of steep, probably a little bit wider and easier just to uh, get going on. Then you're going to work your way up through blues, reds, and then up to black. Hopefully I got that the right, right way around. Everyone's nodding at me. That's good. So you basically, depending on your ability, if you've been before or not, you're going to look to choose the location that's got more of the color run that's relevant to you. So if you're brand new, never been skiing before, you want more green. If you're more experienced, been lots of times, then you're probably going to want more reds, possibly blacks. 
and anywhere in between. So a nice mixture and, a, you know, a good resort to have a nice mixture of all of those. Definitely. And I always start off, even though I've been skiing quite a few times, I always start off the first morning on the greens and blues, just to get my ski legs back. So that's, that's a, don't go straight into the blacks. Like I know some people will try and do, especially those adventurous ones like Steve. And another key thing to, to look at, and I'm going to ask you this one, Hannah, because you've got a family, is transfer times. And this does really make a difference depending upon where you're going in, in the, in across Europe, um, how long a transfer time is. So how would you best recommend potentially from families or those new to skiing and, and describing what a transfer might be like? Yeah. So generally what we, we do, we have, um, coach transfers. Um, we have the ability to do direct to resort transfer, which obviously you want, you don't want any faffing about and limit that as much as possible. Um, but generally with ski, Funnily enough, obviously, you want to be up at high altitude. And funnily enough, the airports generally, unless you own a private jet in Courchevel, aren't at high altitude. <laughs> so um, obviously, you've got to get from there. So generally, the minimum transfer you are looking at is around an hour. But then it does go up to sort of three hours. So your SASFA in Switzerland might be more of a three-hour transfer. Um, whereas maybe somewhere like Slane or Avorias, you're looking more on an hour and a half uh, maximum there. So you've got quite a variation. And also it will depend on which airport you go to. So we operate through Chambry and Geneva. Um, and Chambry is a high altitude um, uh, runway. Um, but it, it does mean that you are slightly closer to the, the three valleys and some of the well-known French resorts to offer more of a two-hour um, uh, transfer. So obviously with that, it's just bearing it in mind. Skiing is a slightly longer uh, transfer you than you may be expecting um, from summer holidays and things. Um, but they, they always stop where needed and are aware of, uh, of uh, children's needs and things um, to accommodate that. But yeah, generally you're looking for an hour to that three hours. And then even in Switzerland, you've got quite a few traffic-free resorts. Um, for Zermatt, for example, is a slightly longer transfer, but then you stop outside before you get to Zermatt. You then get on a train, which is actually a really unique, amazing experience. And then you head into the traffic-free resort by train uh, of Zermatt. So it does make the transfer a little bit longer, but even if you've got children, that's part of the adventure. I'm going to step in with some uh, parenting advice, not being a parent. You'll, you'll laugh at this, Hannah, but you probably have experienced this. Um, so I've taken my niece and nephew away a couple of times, and I think the transfers skiing are fantastic. I love driving through the mountains. It's such a, you know, to, to go from no snow and watch the, the snow as you drive up through. However, it turns out young children, windy roads of the Alps and such like, not a great combination. So do be aware of that if you are taking kids. Um, and turns out you really should get them to take some anti-sickness tablets or something beforehand. And um, I didn't get told this before I took my niece and nephew away. Yeah, I find the uh, sometimes grab the sick bag off the uh, aeroplane and put it in your hand luggage. Yes, I know this now. I did not know that at the time. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't let you know, Steve. <laughs> it also, it, for anyone who may get travel sick, that is a great tip. Um, adults as well, the, especially if you're going up into any of the high altitude, uh, more of the snowshore resorts, which will be more, more centralized if you're in the Alps. So places like Val d'Isere, 
Teens, um, up into Val Terrens in the Three Valleys and, and other snowshore areas, there's a lot of hairpin turns. So if you're not the best at traveling, do make sure you take um, either seasick style tablets or travel sickness tablets. Um, and just be aware of that, that, that those journeys are normally going to be the longer ones, like like Hannah said, and great recommendation by Steve uh, and Hannah for, for how to get around the either sick children or sick adults. I'd also say just obviously speak to us as well. Um, let the rep know, um, let the coach driver know. So um, if it is something you you are regularly uh, with, then get the front of the coach is normally better, being able to see uh, and everything. But um, often it's quite a gradual drive to start with and then it, it can get quite steep and windy. There is also the options to do a snow train if you're coming from the UK uh, for, for certain destinations or even some of the transfers. So if you're flying into Geneva, for instance, you can jump on a train to go to some of the Swiss resorts and then it's just a short transfer up from there. So there are those options available, um, especially if you're going into uh, some of the most popular French resorts like Val d'Azur Teens, Three Valleys, Le Plan, Lazark. There is a train that goes all the way in, which means that your transfer up is only going to be maybe a 45-minute minibus or 30-minute minibus journey. So there are lots of different options to get around and also you can drive uh, if you come in from from the UK or, or elsewhere around Europe. And on that, I, I know we sort of mentioned you may get the longer transfers if you go into some resorts which are uh, at higher altitude or what we'd like to call snowshore. So especially when you're looking at the the start, the start end of the season in Europe, you know, because it's a little bit lower altitude than those in the Rockies, the Canadian and American Rockies, um, snow is... It's not you're more likely to get snow at the higher altitudes and the snowshore resorts, snowshore resorts, um, and at the same at the end of the season. So depending upon when you're looking to go, so if you're looking to go for Christmas and New Year's Eve, you want to try and get as high up as you can to make sure hopefully you're guaranteed snow. And if not, a lot of them have glaciers, so that's another option. Is look for if you want to make sure you're guaranteed your snow, then look for glacier resorts, which means that those they will open them and they'll be able to open them. Even there's limited snow, a lot of resorts also have snow cannons that can create the snow so it'll just be um, a bit more sticky than the champagne powder that you'll get in the Rockies but it's still an amazing experience that you're skiing at Christmas and New Year's Eve um, and the same towards the end of the season so that's how you can make sure if you're if you're looking to go away as something special with the family or friends do get into those snowshore high altitude resorts and go into those who are looking to travel and ski for the first time what are the essential that someone needs to take when they're going skiing and what are the essentials that they might need when they're in resorts. So Steve, if I ask you, what sort of, when you first went to, when, when you go skiing, what are the key equipment and, and how do you pack? Um, okay, so key things is about being warm and it's all about layers. And you don't have to spend lots of money on this. You can even hire kits from, there's various providers that will hire it. You don't have to worry about all the skis and things like that. You can get those when you get to resort, you hire those through the operator. Makes life a lot easier first time. But what you want to go equipped with is, um, ski jacket and 
um, ski leggings, basically, um, salopettes, they're called, which basically are waterproof trousers and then sort of base layers. So you sort of thermal underwear, then a sort of mid layer, and then, then you coat. Um, somewhere like Decathlon is a great, really affordable place where you can go very high end snow and rock type, um, and anywhere in between, um, you, it's, um, you know, you, you can be a fashion parade or you can just go practical. I always like to go really practical. Don't want to look too good. Otherwise there's certain assumptions are made about you. Um, so yeah, it's about being waterproof, weatherproof, windproof, um, something with ventilation because, um, as much as you're going to a snowy cold resort, I often find it's the hottest time in my life when I'm skiing because, uh, you do sweat, but, um, you know, you've got the sun beating down on you. So ventilation is good. Layers are really, really good because you can take a sort of top layer off. So you've just got a sort of warm jumper and uh, base layer sort of thermal underwear and then you'll still be warm you want to be able to dress um, sort of put coats back on when you stop for a coffee or a beer things like that so that's the main things is ski socks plenty of those um, thermal underwear base sort of uh, sorry a mid layer and then a, a jacket in your salopettes um, like I say, you can hire it, you can get it really cheap for someone like Decathlon, get it in the sales, think a little bit ahead. And that's really it. You don't need lots of uh, lots else. You're pretty much going to wear the same all week. More socks because you're going to get through those quite quickly. Really comfortable socks. That's really key because you're going to wear those in your, in your ski boots. And um, yeah, then just stuff to slob around in in the evening i can uh, hannah you can also testify for this it's not it's not milan fashion week or um <laughs> up in the mountains you can pretty much be very chilled even if you're going into some of the top restaurants you know you don't have to pack massive amounts like you're going out if you would do if you're going uh away on a summer holiday yeah generally a, a jeans and a jumper is uh is, is quite enough and i think definitely if you're going to a chalet or a chalet hotel environment i'm always packing my slippers like definitely if I'm, I'm going down to dinner in my slippers um and and that's one of the the joys of it and i think even even in many of the hotels we operate it's it's that cozy atmosphere and like like um steve was saying you can pick up lots of different um clothing and stuff now audi does great ski sales tk maxx is always a great place to to look out for um my daughter's winter coat is a ski jacket so that's two boxes ticked um but also i think so many people now do a bit of running do a little bit of football all of that kit is breathable base layers you don't need to go out and get a whole load of ski base layers. Like it, it is what you wear for football base layers. It is your running leggings. And I wear running leggings underneath my salopettes if it's cold. And and all of those things double up as your ski kit. And as a kid, I wore my pajamas under my ski wear. And that was perfectly fine. So, um, yeah, there is no need to, to go and get those bits. But um, it does work out um, really well. I'm picturing you in big bunny rabbit slippers now. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the sparkly boots, but... <laughs> 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 and and for for the you mentioned obviously you, um, your daughter's winter jacket is also a ski jacket. For recommendation for families looking to take away, especially some of the younger ones, you know that they're quite concerned. Oh, will my child get really cold? What can I pack for them? Have you got any recommendations for for families taking children away? Yeah, again, I think it's just layers. Like my daughter does sport and things anyway, so she's got hoodies. She's got like trespass is great, mountain hardware, those sorts of shops, but. 
I get it. Like she's got to have PE kit for school and she's got to have leggings for that. So that doubles up. She's got a fleece. Like perfect. That doubles up. And if we go skiing, because ultimately skiing for many people is one week of the year. So actually, if I've got a ski jacket on my daughter that generally can only keep a jacket for two years because she grows too quick, then it's a bit big for the first year and it just about fits for the last second year. But it's worked for two years. Um, and yeah, so it worked lots of layers and to be fair, like a, a good snurd. Um, and then it gives them the options. I think when with the kids, A, you have to be bearing in mind that they're not always like moving loads. But at the same time, the, the skis and things can be quite heavy for them. So actually, when I saw my daughter skiing, she was working pretty hard at doing moving things and moving her body. So actually, she was quite active and she was getting warm. Um, and as long as they're waterproof and dry, um, then um, and I've got the layer choices, then um, they're fine. Um, and we didn't have any issues. And again, with the little one, she was in a sort of a, a snowsuit. And again, just she wore her nursery layers under normal day-to-day clothes underneath a snowsuit. I mean, she's she went at six months and she went at one and a half years. We were lucky enough to go in February, um, in January this year, sorry. Um, and yeah, just layers like that. But also I'd say one of the main things, um, and I don't think Steve mentioned it yet, is eyewear. Um, eyewear is really important. Um, I think people think obviously it's cold and you don't need anything. Actually, the, the brightness of the sun out there is is strong. And with the reflection of the snow, it can be quite damaging. So A, I wear a helmet all the time anyway now, and most people do. And those certainly can be hired along uh, with all your kit. So you don't have to go out and buy a helmet. Um, a lot of people after a few times do have their own. Um, but goggles work really well with helmets. They tend to fit better with wearing a helmet. Um, but again, you can pick them up from anything from 10 pounds to uh, hundreds. Um, and I certainly wouldn't over purchase um, on, on children's especially. Bearing in mind, we're in a country that has great regulations on eyewear that even if you buy sunglasses from Primark, they do have to be regulated properly. So they are safe lenders. Um, so um, I would just make sure obviously you've got goggles or sunglasses um, for children um, to ensure that they are um, are wearing those at all times. And I would also just add helmets. Uh, you know, a lot of people may not want to wear a helmet, but pretty much everyone now is, and especially children, it's guaranteed if you're doing less ski lessons, you've got to wear a helmet. Just protecting yourself, a bit like if you went on a bike, you know, if you're cycling down the road, you're wearing a helmet. Why wouldn't you wear a helmet when you're going down the mountain? It's definitely evolved in the last few, like since I started skiing at five and there was like the odd person wearing a helmet. And now the people that aren't wearing helmets stand out and, and, um, and generally everyone is wearing a helmet. Um, uh, so it, it is commonplace. Um, and as you said, it's, it's not about necessarily that you're skiing, but also accidents happen. There's people that aren't necessarily the safest on the slopes or have accidents. And I've definitely been there myself. Um, and, um, and so it's, it is important to, to wear a helmet. You can go up pretty fast when you're skiing. So, um, it is important. And it keeps you warm. It does. And Steve, with someone that's looking to go, some terminologies there for first timers that may need a bit of describing, but also whether or not some of them um, may be needed. But you've got like lift passes, ski hire, ski lessons, quite self explanatory. Um, for beginners, they need to, to make sure they know when they're when they're looking to book. 
it's worth explaining about the lift passes in more detail because if you've never been before, you won't appreciate why you need one. It's a bit like a bus pass, if you like. It gets you up and down uh, the mountains. You won't want to be walking to the top of the mountains. Um, but depending on where you go will depend on the type of lift pass you want. If you're absolutely brand new, never skied before, you probably don't want the all-encompassing lift pass that's going to cover every possible run on the uh, on the mountain or connected mountains because you're not going to ski them all you probably just want to spend a little bit less and just go for the sort of local area lift pass because that's going to cover most of what you need if you've been a few times or you're more experienced and you want to go off exploring spend the money to go for the wider area lift pass typically then you can ski more more areas and it's worth also saying if you can pre-book your lift pass that does save you a bit of time actually having to queue up because that's a real faff um it should be no more expensive uh, pre-booking it, um, but it basically means you don't have to get to the resort and typically queue up first morning in a big queue uh, and miss those first runs. You know, if you if you've been skiing before, you probably want to get on the mountain as quick as possible. Or if you've not been skiing before and you've got uh, lessons to get to, you don't want to be trying to get to the get your lift pass first before you go to the lessons. So pre-book it, and typically it'll be available for you when you get to resort. So it just makes life a lot easier for you so that's really key um and of course if you um if you've not got your own skis you're going to need some ski hire as well so that's really important if you pre-book that again it just makes life so much simpler because it'll all be arranged for you you'll go pick it up it'll still be customized to you so they they measure you check your feet sizes they'll check the ski sizes pick the ones which are most appropriate for you and you don't have to worry you don't have to know anything about this stuff they just tell you what you need they'll ask you a series of questions give you the kit that's perfect for you try the boots on see if they fit see if they're comfortable they'll make sure they fit with the skis and if you have any problems with them you can take them back which is absolutely brilliant and then swap them for another pair of boots so um, always best to do that and like i say pre-book just makes life so much easier that's what it's all about it's the same for snowboarding as well um so <laughs> i know we're all skiers so we may be a bit biased towards yeah. when we're talking about skiing but it's the same for snowboarding um um, lift passes are the same for both skiers and snowboarders. The difference between the, the equipment is you're getting one plank versus two, uh, one snowboard versus two skis. And the shoes are a little bit more comfortable when you're snowboarding compared to skiing until you get used to them. And then at which point, you know, I don't really notice much difference, but, uh, for beginners, that'll be the most noticeable um, element. I always find once you've had that beer at lunchtime, you don't, you can't remember the the boots anymore. Exactly, and if you, especially if you go into Austria, who they love their apre um, after skiing, it helps you stay on some tables if you're dancing on the tables, or just helps you make you know stay, stay up dancing. It's it's nice and solid base. Um, so again, like you said, you don't feel feel uh, they feel very comfortable then. And so, Hannah, with regards to lessons, obviously, Steve's mentioned with lift parties and ski higher they are you know it's great to make sure you book them before and especially for beginners looking to go how important do you think lessons are so um i was just going to add something sorry to start with just on lift passes um just something to note by area um tend to find and relate in a bit to children but concessions as well you tend to find france will count um a child from five years old and upwards Obviously, if there is a free resort pass, it still needs to be on a booking. 
and itemized as an item. Um, whereas Italy and Austria tends to be more seven, uh, six, seven in age. So that is something often people bear in mind if they're going with a five-year-old, it more, might be more cost-effective to go to Austria, to go to Italy, because the lift passes where they're free for children will make that a little bit more concession. They often also, uh, in the Austrian resorts and things, have a few more free lifts. Um, so in that beginner area, might have a couple more free, uh, free lifts uh, for access. You also have, uh, and this is why as a company, we're always saying, please give us the dates of birth on a booking. And it is important and that we all have had those awkward conversations with older people um, of asking their age. Now, if everyone's date of birth is on the bookings, then actually um, someone who's 62 and traveling to Italy gets a, a discounted pass. Now, who doesn't like a discounted pass? Um, and that's purely for, for being slightly older. Um, so uh, ensuring dates of birth and things might mean that you get further concessions. Um, I think in France, it tends to be over 65. Um, but there are senior passes available as well as junior passes just um, in the olden days and like older days sound really old but um, we always used to have a photo on our pass uh, that used to get clipped um, rather than beat these days. Um, but um, nowadays, it's really only those concessional passes that you might have to have a photo for. But with modern technology, um, the reps can normally just take a photo with a smartphone and give that to the um, lift pass office when they're sorting out everyone's passes. So um, they're the ones that need it. Um, and it's just so the, uh, the lift, um, lift work can see who's going traveling on a cheaper pass. Um, so that was just the add-on on lift passes. So apologies. Um, so back to lessons. Yes, lessons are really, really important. And um, having traveled since I was five, I always had lessons and I had lessons till I was about 16. Um, and to be fair, as some people have seen me skiing, probably still require some more lessons. But um, everyone could always do with lessons. There's there's always room for improvement. And personally, now, if I was looking for lessons, I would be looking for soft sew technique or guiding or off-piste. Whereas, obviously, other people might be looking for actual more structured lessons on piece, but it is important. No one gets behind a wheel without having lessons of driving. And some of the speeds you can get up to on, on skis is, is relevant to uh, driving a car. Um, and you don't have the chassis to, uh, to help you. Um, but it, it is important to have lessons. I think when you're taught in a safe environment and we all get the, I'm going to get taught by my mate. Well, that's possibly not very fun for your mate and how much are you actually going to listen. It's uh, the husband and wife listening thing or the son and daughter, um, listening. And I know my mom trying to teach me to drive a car did not go well. So um, I think going to a trained professional for your lessons, and we have fantastic relationships with ski, ski schools across our program, um, it is fantastic. And then you're with like-minded people learning at a similar level and you make new friendships and you have a good laugh in a safe environment. And they, yeah, they're trained professionals in, in all of skiing. Um, and there will be levels up to the, the highest level available. So um, it also works for groups when there's a mixture of ability in the group. So everyone might be going and they're all beginners and then there's one uh, more advanced. Well, it's not very fun for them to ski by themselves. So get in a group with other advanced and um, you'll find, depending on the country, 
what the group set the, the lesson or group lesson setup is. Um, we obviously do uh, offer private lessons and ski schools do offer that as well, but that obviously is quite a bit more expensive. And there is an element that it is quite fun to be as a group. Um, but generally, France tend to be like two hours of lessons each day, maybe for three days or five days, whereas Austria or Italy tend to be all day lessons for three or five days. Um, and it really just goes down to taste um, what would suit people. I'd add to that and say, um, what I've found is that when you ski with people of the same ability, you naturally sort of push yourself to get better. Whereas if you're in a mixed group, you don't tend to progress. But the big benefit or hidden benefit, if you like, of ski lessons is you tend to learn about the mountains. It's not just about the, uh, the improving your skiing, but you get to go across all the other sort of runs and you cover more ground when you're in the lessons and you get to learn about the mountains. So it's worth it for a, a day or two of lessons anyway to, to get to another resort. And you get to skip all the queues and the lifts as well because you take the ski school lane. That is a great tip. Definitely. And also, like you said, you know, you're learning the mountains. So at the end of the lessons, or if you're in France, you're only doing half days. Um, in the in the afternoon, if your experienced friends do come back and want to snowboard and ski with you, you can tell them what runs you're comfortable going down, and then you can go down them together for maybe a, a couple of runs. So it you can get that uh, you know going out with your with your friends still skiing versus oh come up for me and we'll go down this one this is an easy one well it might be easy for me but for a complete beginner it may be scary as scary as hell so um, <laughs> again make sure you're in control if you're beginning that and what would be some of your top uh, resorts for be- beginners Stephen Hannah have you got any re- recommendations of some resorts of course Steve I can tell you I learned to ski in Sir Chevalier um, that's where I learned it was great you can go somewhere like Val d'Isere. That's um, one of my favourites. Um, it covers everything for everybody. Um, so, you, you know, if you go in a group, for example, you've got people of all abilities. So that's good. Um, yeah, I, then I'd probably bow down to Hannah's judgment. <laughs> I'd say for beginners, um, Val d'Isere is lovely and it's massive and there's lots of options. Um, but the the town centre itself can become quite bottlenecked um, and you don't want to end up down the fast. Um, which is a black run that goes into the centre of Val accidentally or one of the gully runs. So um, uh, an amazing one for us um, is Alpes Um It is um, in the Southern Alps of France. It's an amazing ski bowl. It gets fantastic sun, so it's a bit warmer, um, but it has lots of gentle slopes near the accommodation. Um, so you're not having to go far away from that. Um, Haranzau um, in Andorra also worked out as a really nice um, option. Avoriaz is a really nice traffic-free resort. Um, you can ski throughout it, but also you've got a really nice wide open place in front of majority of the accommodation um, where you can um, uh, find your ski legs as such. Um, I was well taught in Austria that one drink per leg means that you can continue um, skiing in the right direction. Um, but that's for over 18s and 90. Um, and um, then we've got Flane, again, a big wide open ski bowl. Um, and so really nice, uh, close to the accommodation because beginners, 
may find that actually they haven't got enough layers or they haven't got enough goggles and to be able to knit back and things does make it a little bit easier. Um, Sazfe in Switzerland, um, absolutely beautiful resort. It's, again, it's a traffic-free resort, typical Swiss chocolate box um, area. Um, and there has a really nice um, area with three uh, um, what we call pommers. So it's a button lift um, and a gentle um, gentle area to, to really find your ski feet um, and learn. And um, I mean, most resorts will have areas of, um, of beginner areas and you don't need to be paying for a place that's got the most expensive lift pass and got everything because ultimately you're a beginner. And I learned in Niederau in Austria, um, which is a lovely, uh, small, pretty resort, um, which is actually now linked into other areas as well. Um, but as you're learning, you don't, you only need two or three slopes, um, uh, to build confidence, uh, and go from there really. And moving on from those recommendations for beginners and now moving into more of the families that are looking to get away, especially potentially in for the 21-22 season, possibly Christmas and for Easter and February half term. Um, what sort of recommendations from your own experience, Hannah, do you have from like uh, flying? Because obviously that, you know, if you're having to travel quite a distance to get to the airport, then you've once you've landed, you've then got another long transfer for for families that could be quite quite a thing so you know do you think it starts from actually when you're leaving the uk finding a regional airport rather than going to one of the major ones and and what would you sort of tick through when you're looking to book for a family yeah, I mean, we definitely try and have as a company uh, with Ingham's and obviously our partner brand Esprit Ski um, have as much regional um, bases as possible um, covering across. So we've got 15 um, regional airports across the country that we work with. Um, so that does obviously make a difference. Um, personally, I'm mid-Hampshire, so we tend to go to Bristol or Gatwick. Um, Bristol is a slightly longer drive, but actually then at the airport it's far easier. Um, and with two young children that have no care in the world to COVID and touch and lick everything, it's it's much easier if we don't need to go very far. Um, but um, obviously the the flight, um, they're pretty short in general. Um, two, three hours is the maximum for a ski flight in main Europe. Uh, I know uh, Matthew loves America and Canada. Um, so slightly longer there, but obviously from a family perspective, probably more likely to stay in Europe as they uh, build their confidence. Um, and then obviously the transfer the other side, I generally, majority of parents now that are seasoned travellers snacks lots of them variation and lots of little crafts and games and drawing um to be fair the 21 month old doesn't just will cause havoc but the um the five-year-old can be bribed and ipads and things help with those things as well <laughs> and and steve how did you decide when when taking your um niece and nephew off skiing <laughs> Um, ski schools was a big thing and knowing that we could go to decent ski schools and um, thinking about where the um, hotel was in relation to everything else. So we wanted not to have to walk 
not that we're lazy uncles and aunties, but um, having to uh, carry the kids kit as well as your own is not that good. So having somewhere that's really central or ski in, ski out, where basically the snow comes right up to the doorstep, that was really important for us as well. Um, all the transfers, flights were pretty much the same. So they were like the big, big considerations. And kids clubs as well. If you can find good kids clubs, that's really important. Um, and that's because the kids actually love them. It's not the uh, uncle and auntie, like I say, uh, being lazy. The kids actually love them because they're meeting and mixing with the kids, other kids, um, and having fun in the process. And that can actually be combined with the ski school as well in some cases. So they're sort of... Um, my experiences with um, obviously we we are Egans and we work with lots of various ski schools as well as um, uh, they have kindergartens which are sort of the youngest ski school and you can with kids ski really I'd say from three at the earliest just because they wouldn't necessarily have the strength with the ski boots and the, the all of the equipment um, but we work with with all of those we also have a partner brand which is a spree ski um, where we operate in three um, resorts. Um, across Italy, Austria, and um, and France, um, and there obviously we do have childcare. We have nursery from seventeen weeks, and we have specific lessons that are exclusive to a spree guests. So that means that the children are skiing on a maximum of one to eight ratio. They're with a ski instructor exclusively for the spree children, and that is a class of English children, English speaking children. Um, and so it does definitely give a smoother ride for those children. Um, and it really is all encompassing. So whether those children are just having half day, then they can have lunch with the, um, the childcare team and go into play in the afternoon or do more skiing or ski with the adults. Because sometimes that's fine if the adults can ski. But also if the adults are learning at the same time, then they don't necessarily feel confident to go out with the kids. Um, I mean, the kids probably will be better than them in two years time, but um, you've, uh, you've got to give them a chance. So um, obviously we have um, we have that. So if you're traveling with children 17, 17 weeks and over, then it's a fantastic option. Um, and the childcare teams do work very similar to they do in the UK. Um, and it does mean that you can relax. And I traveled with my first daughter when she was uh, six months um, and been lucky enough to, to go most years with the with the girls with a spree. Um, and it is like a home from home from a childcare point of view, which does mean that mummy can be guilt free in a restaurant on the mountain at lunchtime, enjoying a drink with her husband. One, one extra thing I thought of as well, if you pick a hotel that's or, or accommodation which is child friendly they're going to be very good for sort of food allergies and things which is an important consideration when we were traveling so you know to be able to uh, talk to the resort team beforehand let them know about the allergies that type of thing's really really good so you know pick pick a hotel that's child friendly and typically they'll be able to cater for all of that with going through you mentioned earlier about lift passes with it being discounted if dependent upon the age or free for for younger children in certain countries are there any other kind of family discounts if families are going away um, to take into for people to take into consideration yeah um, many a resort um, do have sort of a family of four lift pass which counts for, for two adults two children which then offers a concession um, a number of the French resorts I know do student passes obviously with uh, NUS type card um, uh, to support that. Um, 
and then obviously the the junior passes and um, and free um, free passes. So from that point of view, there there are potentials to to have cheaper. Generally, as a rule, some of the big French resorts will have the most expensive lift passes, and then outside of that, they do tend to get a bit cheaper. Swiss also tend to be fairly expensive. Um, and when I'm talking about expensive and things, obviously uh, not all. Um, all used to it but a lift pass can be anything really um from a child pass being 80 pounds to an adult uh, of some areas nearly 300 so there's quite a variation in in the cost of a lift pass and i think that's one thing uh, to remember and we might be jumping a little bit here but um on when you're talking about your cost of your holiday and your budget for holiday that these are essential items as part of your holiday a to get them booked in so you don't have to think about it but also then you've budgeted for it and it's in your holiday um cost um you don't need to spend much when you're out there and and that's on there but it is something that i would always uh, to a customer or an agent say what's your your base holiday cost is your budget and what's it with your extras because those extras are essential lift pass equipment or ski carriage if you haven't if you've got um uh your own equipment don't forget ski carriage is essential uh, various airlines have strict limits on how many uh or how many sets of skis or boards they can take so it is essential when you're making that booking to get that ski carriage secured um but yeah a total budget for the holiday is really important um, because you don't want uh, to think it's one price and then have a lift pass of 250 on top. It might be a little bit of a shock. <laughs> I'd say a good rule of thumb as well is the earlier you book, the better the price. Yeah. Um, gone are the days of leaving it to the last minute to get the best price. Your best deals are all the earlier you book. So yeah. definitely get it booked as soon as you know the dates that you yeah. want to go. Val, uh, Val and Teen are often one of the areas that we are able to offer um, uh, some passes at some point at buy one, get one half price. Um, they often give us a certain amount of dates that we can offer that, uh, which tend to go around December, early Jan, um, and maybe the odd uh, quieter March date. Um and obviously, that makes a massive saving on an advance, uh, on an adult pass to get the the type of offer of buy one get one uh, half price. Perfect. And um, if you could just quickly cover four recommended, so only only four recommended top resorts for families. Yeah. Um, so I I think Lazark's always a fantastic one. I am biased. I did a season in Paisley Lazark, um, but the Lazark area covers two two mountain faces um, and has fantastic options. And again, like Steve was saying, that sometimes it's really nice to have it ski to and from. And there are plenty of um, properties within Lazark that are close to, if not ski to and from. Um, then uh, and lots of nice wide slopes. Um, we've got um, some of this. Uh, ski areas in um, Finland are fantastic. So Ulas and Levy, really nice option and really good for beginners if they're looking for um, for variation of activities and also for families um, with that as well. And then a favorite from um, from Austria, somewhere like St. Anton or Obergurgel. Um, Austria is often renowned for its apres, and we've mentioned that um, previously. But they have some fantastic tuition, and I love the tuition in Austria. Um, and again, um, some uh, really nice variation of piece and areas that you can just ski off into to different locations. Um, and uh, yeah, the ski school in Obergurgel is fantastic. 
on top of that, if you are looking to go to Finland and uh, sort of Levy area, if you go at Christmas time, you'll be able to arrange to see Santa. So again, for families, that is a great option for beginner families, especially. And going into groups uh, and looking for a group of friends looking to go together, it could be a group of school or or, um, or work looking to, looking to get out. Some of my top recommendations from traveling with friends and also organizing groups going um, is you've got to make sure, as we were speaking earlier, about the different run types you got to make sure there's enough variation for everyone that may go on it because you could have some people who are very very experienced and actually may want to go off piste as well so they're looking at black and beyonds um, and then you've got complete beginners so you need to make sure you have quite a lot of the blues and greens you know so i, I would always recommend that you'd, you'd look at your blues and greens first for the beginners because anyone who's experienced can make it harder for themselves by maybe going and getting a um if they're going off piece going with an and get in a private lesson and they go off piece and it gets a little bit harder for them whereas it's it's a it's a lot harder to get a slope easier because the mountains are not going to move for you so it's all about making sure you have those great beginner runs and experience for the for the group and also i would say make sure there's lots of activities for those who may be the first time skiing they actually may do lessons for three days and go actually it's not for me i've given it a go but i wanted to come and now actually i just want to go and enjoy a spa maybe or go for a swim or i can go snowshoeing um go out on a sledge so snowshoeing is a mass is, is a beautiful you can get up into the mountains and see some places that even the skiers can't see so there's there's lots of activities that you can do away from skiing so i think when you're booking a group that's a key element to have is make sure there's lots of uh, non-ski ski activities and Steve I know you've been on a few of our group trips what would be what would be your recommendations when traveling with groups uh, my top recommendation would be let somebody else do the organizing <laughs> um, because you're very good at that Matthew um and I think, yeah, having good apres skis, so the evening activities, the things you can do for the non-skiers or the relaxing, because ski is not just about the bombing downhill. It's about the fun that goes with it, the uh, entertainment, the food, being able to go out for a drink, all those type of things. Um, and yeah, sort of planning something for everybody, but it tends to be a social thing. So you've got to think about uh, how much it costs to go out for a beer uh, on the ski slope. So some of those sort of Val d'Isere type resorts, they're not the cheapest for for going out. Um, so little things like that, that can add quite a lot to the uh, the price of the holiday if you're going for, for the beers as well. And Hannah? Definitely. Um, I I definitely think that there's there's many resorts and obviously many of the properties that ha- do have those additional facilities. So from the point of going as a group, maybe have a look and see if there are any hotels or chalets that maybe have additional uh, facilities. Uh, going as a group, then a chalet is a is a lovely option um, uh, if if one's available for your perfect size. Um, but also, um, a number of the resorts have been putting a lot of investment over the last few years into additional wellness facilities and sort of centre parks type pools. So Avoria has created one a couple of years ago. Um, Teen and Val probably were one of the first uh, within Teen uh, and Val 
to have a fantastic um, aqua facility with wellness, with spa facilities within it, which are often discounted or included within lift passes. Um, and so they're a great uh, asset to a resort. And as we've said, for, for people that have um, a mix in the group, um, but also it can be tiring. It can be hard on the muscles and things. And uh, who doesn't like a little little treat now and again? I certainly will be booking one after lockdown. Um, but um, but also in um, in Austria, and um, there's there's amazing facility not far from Obergurgel, um, which is a big spa center. Um, and we do do excursions or day trips uh, to things like that as well. So. Um, and and the public bus systems within these resorts as well. So a lot of the resorts have these amazing public bus systems, which are included within lift passes. And so it does mean getting to the swimming pool uh, in Maribel, getting um, uh, off to the, the spa centre near Obergurgel is all possible um, uh, within that. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's fantastic uh, Austria, as we've said, for APRE and atmosphere, um, as like Ischgl is a well-known one for uh, amazing uh, APRE um, and uh, dancing on the tables. Um, please use safety with that. But Folly Deuce is a well-known um, bar that uh, is in many of the top French uh, resorts. Um, and it's fantastic just, uh, just for a sort of early evening dance, a few drinks, um, and a fantastic atmosphere. Um, but yeah, there's, there's loads of variation and it might be a business group. We, we as a company have definitely had lots of people that go away for, for business, um, and, uh, try and mix business with pleasure and, um, and, and definitely getting out on the slopes, um, a bit of fresh, fresh thinking. Um, and, and even just little time on the, on the chairlifts and all of that is all nice, uh, team building and um, uh, and just yeah shared experiences. Wonderful, and I know you mentioned a few resorts there already. So like Ischgl, um, Saint Anton in Austria. Um, I know Val Terenz is a great one again for for groups. The same with teens and Val Desire, um and Zermatt's are some great resorts for for groups. Um, especially because it offers the the vastness of some of the ranges. So for those advanced skiers, they can actually get more more ski range. And for the beginners, they've got some great nursery slopes and, and um, ski schools. So and they have those facilities in place, which again we've we've talked about. So it offers so much for a wide group. And we've sort of touched on uh, different thing, different types of accommodation. So we are just uh, just sort of hone down on the different types. We've, we've sort of mentioned chalet, chalet hotel and obviously there's normal hotels and safe self-catered apartments um, so Steve if you just want to sort of just what, what type of uh, hotels and self-catered apartments have you sort of stayed in and, and been on when you've been away and uh, and can people expect I think I've pretty much covered every type of uh, accommodation while skiing. And I guess it depends really on um, budget is obviously one thing and the level of comfort you want or level of amenities, the extras, the swimming pools and those type of things. So we start with the self-catering, ultimately the cheapest type of uh, accommodation really. So this is where you, just like any self-catering holiday, you have your own cooker, microwave, uh, whatever the facilities obviously it will 
vary depending on where you, where you go, but you are going to be able to cook for yourself. So that offers the ultimate flexibility. You're not tied into having to go for certain meal times. You don't have to sort of be driven by somebody else's timetable. Uh, you can, you know, go to local bakers in the morning and get some bread, that type of thing. That's fantastic. Or you, you know, take your own cereal with you, you know, whatever you, you may want to do. Typically there'll be, um, some sort of shop nearby might be slightly more expensive than the UK. So do be aware of that, but that, that is great. The downside of that is you have to cook for yourself. Ah, Steve, um, Steve, I have to stop you there. We do have the facility in our French apartments that we work with a company called Husky, which are the cook in the UK. And they can also provide fantastic homemade proper lasagnas, masakas, you name it. So that cook at home doesn't have to in a self-catering apartment in France, but carry on. Okay, I'm sold. Okay, <laughs> quite right. So normally you have to do that unless you, you use that service. So um, the thing I was going to say there was if you didn't have that service, it's a, when you get back from skiing, the last thing you want to do is start cooking. So having a service like that would be fantastic. So I'm going to try that next time. Um, so that's that's the, the good and the bad of the self-catering, if you like. Um, typically with self-catering as well, you might get a bigger accommodation. So I stayed in one that had sort of a two bedrooms, lounge, dining area, and sort of kitchenette type of thing um, last time I went skiing. So that was really cool. Um, then you've got um, chalets. So that is a little bit like self-catering, only you have somebody else doing the cooking for you. You'll have a bigger sort of... Um, like a B and B, if you like, um, sort of accommodation might have uh, four or five rooms, might have more than that. Twelve rooms depends on the size you choose. But then you'll have somebody who's hosting you, who will do your cooking and cleaning, um, and you'll sort of all sit down for dinner at the same time, typically. Um, and it's a, a little mini hotel, if you like. So it's really friendly, really sort of sociable. Uh, you probably get like wine with your meals as well, um, and yeah, probably relatively simple food because they're cooking for a number of people. I say simple. I mean, I've actually stayed in some really, really good uh, ones. Um, so that's the sort of halfway between self-catering and uh, a hotel, if you like. Then you go for the full-blown hotel. And then that's like choosing any hotel, whether you go three, four, five star, and you look at the different facilities that you might have. Hotels are great because obviously you don't have to do very much. You are limited typically to the size of the room. So you don't have as much space, maybe. Um, but you probably have bars and restaurants within the hotels and you might have swimming pools and typically there's somewhere separate to keep all your ski gear as well, which is really good sort of lockers and everything. So all that's out of the way. So a lot of it comes down to preference, if, uh, the facilities that you want and then the budget that you're looking to spend um, and then personal preference really. But there really is something for everybody in, in most resorts. I would say one thing um, we've found over the, uh, the years that the demand for self-catering has definitely increased and the variation in self-catering. Now I went at 20 years old to Val um, with the uni. Now, obviously, we went in a simple accommodation choice and we're going for let's eat for as cheap as possible and possibly drink something. But there are also five-star self-catering that have the, the pools, have access to restaurants on site and have all the bells and whistles that you could ask for within possibly an original hotel setup. So there is even that three to five star option within your self-catering nowadays. Um, and you don't have 
to scrimp on on quality. Um, with the, um, the the chalets, I always think of it as that home for home, and it is one I definitely pack my slippers for. Um, our chalets that we operate um, for next season, um, they, ha- they have the boot rooms, the places to do to store things, um, and um, some fantastic locations. And it is nice if you are just taking over the whole place. It is quite a nice opportunity to have that cozy atmosphere um, as as a group. Um, and a number of them will always have additional wellness, whether that's a hot tub or sauna um, and things within them. Um, and then, as Steve said, with the hotels, then uh, you, there is so much variation um, from the more simpler properties up to um, amazing uh, five-star luxury of some of the crazy ones in Zermatt. Um, so there are lots of variations um, and some have full in-house spa facilities, ski hire shops and you name it. So um, they, you definitely don't have to um, yeah, go back on luxury if you want, but there are simpler options available too. But also on the food as well. So you've got the self-catering, you've got the bed and breakfast, but you also might have half board, um, full board, all inclusive. So there are variations and there's a number of hotels uh, across Europe that offer a more in, all-inclusive um, uh, package. Um, and that might even mean um, vouchers on the mountain for lunch, or uh, which they do in a lot of the Andorra resorts, uh, or uh, coming back to the property for, for some lunch as well. That is my first ever ski trip was in Andorra. And like you, Hannah, I, we were 18. Well, actually, my first ever school trip was a school, but that was a school trip. But my first proper with my friends where we went and self-catering, we packed a bunch of uh, canned food, so spaghetti, spaghetti hoops, things like that, that we could just then chuck it. And to be fair, we didn't actually eat that much. We just mainly went skiing and, and then went out. Yeah. Uh, but it was, again, you can start off at that. So if you're a young group that really want to get out, you can start off on those self-caters. If you're a, um, you know, a, a group of friends who want some lovely hotels and facilities, if you want your own chalet with hot tub, some chalets have pools. Again, it's all it's all down to what your budget is. Make sure, as, as everyone's mentioned, is you don't just look at the price of the cost to get there, the transfers and the, ho- the accommodation. Also then get a price for your lift passes, your ski hire, your ski lessons if you need them. Um, and if there's any other attractions that you may want to do, get those prices in. Because even if you don't buy them at the time, at least you know that is what I need to budget for. So I just want to say a massive thank you to Steve and Hannah for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. You're very welcome. And if you've enjoyed it, please make sure you share with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure you subscribe for free. Thanks for listening.